change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Pod Squeeby. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, 200 episodes. Can you believe we got here? It's uh, it's hard to believe, you know, 200 episodes, about an hour each or more. Um, but we'll average it out at an hour. That's a lot of time talking tie cats and CFL football that we've done. But uh, it's a pretty pretty big accomplishment. I mean, when we started this thing, uh, I, I know we hoped we'd, do, we'd get to this point, but you never know, right? So... 200 episodes, uh, pretty impressive. Well, my, my hope was always the Ticats win a Grey Cup, we spend a year doing a victory lap, and then we go the old George Costanza, leave while you're on top. <laughs> um, so I anticipated us being done about five years ago. I figured 2015 they win the title, 2016 we spend the entire year having people hate us, and then we go, yeah, we're going to hit the old dusty trail. That did not happen. That <laughs> clearly no. did not happen. Um, but, yeah, 200 episodes, man, I'm uh, – I'm not surprised we got here. I mean, I still enjoy doing it. I know you still enjoy doing it. Uh, yeah. There's always something new to talk about. So it's, uh, it's, it's a heck of an accomplishment, I think. Yeah. No end in sight. Not, no, unless they win the title this year. And then we're going to do the victory lap next year. And then, uh, I mean, then I'll still probably want to be a jerk for a couple more years. So, yeah, we probably yeah. got a few, uh, few more of, us, of these in me. So, uh, yeah, 200 episodes. And we got to start the 200th episode. Actually, first I'm going to do this. Did you hear that? That was me cracking a beer. I don't oh drink on the podcast, but I have no. to do it on this one. I am actually going to enjoy. I'm going to give a shout out here. Bench Brewing, a nice Lincoln Lager in their commemorative Thai Cats can. It's a great beer if you're in the Hamilton area. If you're down here for Grey Cup and looking for something to do, head out to the Bench Brewery. It's uh, it's some really good stuff. You, you can get yourself some Thai Cats beers as well. Um, I'm cracking that open because I have to start the show doing something I never thought I'd have to do, and that is say nice things about the city of Ottawa and the Ottawa red blacks. So let me take a drink first so I can get some courage to actually do this. Chug it down, chug it down. (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. He's drunk now. He's drunk. Yeah. So now you can't take anything. (laughs) You can't take anything. I say seriously. Um, so I shot my mouth off last week on the show saying if Ottawa were to beat Montreal and therefore secure a home playoff date for our tiger cats, that I would come on the next week and I would say some nice things about Ottawa. I then doubled down on that on Twitter. I said that this wouldn't be me being like trolling them or being backhanded compliments or anything like that. I'm legitimately going to say some nice things about the city of Ottawa and the Ottawa Red Blacks. So let's start with the city itself. It's my favorite city in the country. I, I've, I've been saying that for years. And I know people probably think I'm crazy. But I love going to Ottawa. I've been there numerous times. Haven't been there in a while. Obviously, COVID stops people from going anywhere, really. But I, I've taken many a trip to Ottawa. 
had a lovely time. I'm, I'm a big history buff, and Ottawa is just filled with history. I have taken the Parliament tour more times than I care to admit. Been to the Mint. Just the city of Ottawa, the downtown area with with just like it's you breathe Canadian history there, and it just it's it's my happy place. Being around Parliament is my happy place, and that might sound lame to some people, but it's as someone who who took political science university and who has a degree in poli science history and really focused on Canadian history, getting to experience it, the halls of where people, their historical acts took place and all that sorts of stuff just really, really makes me happy. So I really love visiting there. The city itself is beautiful. I know you, Mike, you've been, you obviously were there mm-hmm. in 2017 yeah. for the gray cup. Uh, it's a little different in the winter, but I've been winter and summer, and it's awesome both times. I've been there for – what I can't remember what their winter festival was called, but I went there for that. And, it, yeah, it's it's kind of chilly, um, but it's really beautiful, and they, they put on such a great show. Is it Winterlude or Winterfest? Or it's, it's something like that. I'm sure someone from Ottawa will correct me, and I apologize for spacing on the name. Um, and I've been there in the summer when it the weather is beautiful, and you can walk along the uh, near the canal and just – it's a great place to be. The stadium, TD Place, is an awesome stadium to watch a football game in. I've been there, I think, twice for Ticats games. I watched them get absolutely slaughtered. Uh, I think Henry Burst threw like five or six touchdown passes on the Ticats. Uh, I think it was 2015. Uh, yeah, it was because it was when Zach Caleros got hurt. So I went there for that. Did not enjoy myself during the game, but then went back the following year uh, and watched the Ticats win in overtime or double overtime to secure a playoff berth, and that was a lot more fun. I did get heckled by some some Ottawa fans for cheering on the Ticats, but that's to be expected. You're in opposition territory. I don't expect them to be all warm and fuzzy with me all the time. Um, but the, I think I sat on both sides of the stadium. I think it, it's, a, it's a great place to watch a game. I'm sure you feel the same, having seen the Grey Cup there. Did, did you not get the same sort of vibe from the revamped? I know it's CD Place now, the old Frank Clair Stadium. Kind of a great place. And you have an experience at both, because weren't you at the 04 Grey Cup at the old stadium, and now you've seen the new stadium? What do you think of it? Yeah, I was uh, at the 04 game, Toronto and BC, and then uh, 17, Toronto and Calgary. So um, enjoyed my time uh, both times. And, uh, you know, I was sitting in the end zone in 17, so I didn't get a good grasp on how it feels to uh, be in the actual stands. But uh, And it was snowing like, like crazy that day, but uh, I had a great time. I agree with you that uh, the city of Ottawa is very nice, very beautiful, very clean. Um and yeah, now the hard part comes talking about the football team, right? Yeah, that's the difficult one. I mean, and also <laughs> before we get into that, just the city's a great walking city. Like anytime mm-hmm. I've been there, I haven't really taken transit or anything like that. I've walked everywhere and it's just, it's a really great walking city. And that's, um, that's something you can't underestimate when it comes to major cities. So now the team, this is tough. Um, can I go historical with this? Would that be a cop-out, or do I have to focus on the Red Black? Because historically, I don't know if I've said this publicly, if there was no Hamilton Tiger Cats and I was into the CFL, and that's you know hit or miss whether or not I would have gotten as into the CFL as I have because mm-hmm. I have a, a local team, I would have been an Ottawa Rough Riders fan. I like the color scheme. I like the simplicity of, the, of that white R on the black helmet. When they had... Remember that train that they had go cross country? I think it was in 2012 yes. ahead of the 100th Grey Cup. Mm-hmm. And they yeah, had this well, like... I was, uh, I was out east at the time and I went... I remember I went to New Brunswick to uh, catch to, it. So, yeah. yeah. And they had like... It was just like a, a train 
couple train cars filled with like CFL memorabilia. Basically, a traveling Hall of Fame. And they had an old reference. It might have even been Rush Jackson's helmet, quite honestly. And I just, and this was before the Red Blacks were back. And I just remember looking at it going, man, that's a really sharp looking. Like, it just looked like, I, I know, if, uh, I don't know if it was this year, if it was last, I think it was this year, we, uh, we discussed the ranking of the logos of the mm-hmm. CFL teams. And we had Winnipeg in last because of, of the simplicity of it. So I know people are going to be like, oh, he's a hypocrite. He, he doesn't like the simplicity of the W, but he loves the simplicity of the R. And I don't know if it was just the way it popped, the white popped off the black helmet. I don't know if it's just a color scheme or what it was, but I just, I, I feel like I would have been drawn to being a Red Blacks fan. I never would have cheered for the Argos. I know that for sure. Unless the only caveat there is there's no tie cats. I don't get into football until the early 90s. Maybe because Rocket Ishmael goes to the Argos, I become an Argo fan. But I just feel like there's something about other kind of the underdogs. And I've always kind of cheered for underdogs. I mean, the Thai Cats are usually underdogs. My sport teams in in other sports after I was a child were were underdogs. So I was gonna say the Forty ers when you were growing up. When I was a kid, they were awesome. Now they're you know they for you know okay. they haven't won a Super Bowl since I was thirteen years old. Twelve, yeah, mm-hmm. thirteen. I turned thirteen the year they won the last Super Bowl. I'm about to turn 40 in January. So it's been a while, man. It's been a while. But as a kid, yeah, like I was uh, I was all about the front runners at the time, I guess. Despite being a Ticats fan when they never really won anything when I was a kid either. Um, so, yeah, I really like that. The current team, there's some players on the squad I like. I'm a big Anthony, Antoine Pru- I Anthony Pru- I screwed his name up. Antoine Pruno fan. I've I liked him since he stepped in. I'm glad the team's back, if that matters for anything. I mm-hmm. Ottawa always should have had a team. And the league without Ottawa for all those years felt incomplete, did it not? Yeah, it did. It did. So when they came back, I was all for it. And I like the fact that for a while there, they were our chief rival. It's nice to build up rivalries with other teams. We're going to talk about my feelings on, on trash talk and rivalries when we talk about the uh, playoff game coming up on Sunday. But I like when you can kind of get into it with opposing fans and opposing teams and, and genuinely get a hate on for someone else. And if the Red Blacks never came back, we never get that sort of little mini feud where they, for a while, I thought, overtook the Argos as our as our chief rival when uh, when the Red Blacks were good and the Ticats were good and they were you know going back and forth for first in the division and, and playing playoff games and stuff like that. Um, so I'm, I'm glad they're back. And the fan base, as much as they give me heck... I'm glad there's a, a passionate fan base for that team because I don't think the, the passion ever left Ottawa. I don't think that's the reason that the Renegades folded. But to see how the city and young people in that city have sort of adopted the team and, and come on board, I think it bodes well for the future of, of that team. I think it bodes well for the future of the league. So like, I'm happy they're back. Despite all the things I've said negative about them, I'm genuinely happy that we have a team in Ottawa. Yeah, as am I. I was... Uh... I was uh, over, you know, whenever we can, which doesn't happen very often, whenever we can add a team to the CFL, it's it's always a good thing. Um, but you're right with the Renegades. You know, they came back. They had a short history. But uh, I don't think it was, you know, I don't think they folded because there wasn't passionate fans there. Actually, I, I know they didn't fold because of that. It was, you know, the Gliebermans were owners and there was, you know, weird promotions and the team stunk and, you know, there's a lot of factors that went into that. The stadium was falling apart. Um, so, yeah, I'm really glad that Ottawa's back in the league. And uh, and, I, and I think that they have a really passionate fan base that can uh, support them. And I don't think they're going to be going away anytime soon. All right. Have I have I done enough? Have I yeah. have I said enough? Can we move on? 
Yes, please. All right, no more nice things about Ottawa now for a year. All right, let's yes, go. Yes, I agree. Uh, let's talk about the Ticats game. It was an inconsequential game thanks to the Red Blacks, so thank you, Ottawa, for that one. But the Ticats still came out and absolutely hammered uh, an undermanned B team in Saskatchewan 24-3 to in what was a meaningless game. The Ticats had already clinched second place in the East. We knew they were going to host Montreal in the East final. But there's still some things I think we can talk about from this game. And I think chief among them is going into the game, there was, and, and you were part of it, and as was I, um, a talk of a quarterback. Not controversy, I think, but there was a, a healthy debate after Mazzoli's poor performance against the Argos whether or not the team should go to Dane Evans. And I was pretty staunchly in support of Mazzoli. You were pretty staunchly in support of Evans. And then you kind of won me over last week, if you remember, by saying, why do you have a 1A and a 1B if you don't use 1B when 1A is struggling? And I was like, oh, that's a good point. But in this one, we, we saw both of them play. They both got a half of play. And, Mike, I know you're – look, I don't want to say you're an Evans guy and I'm a Mazzoli guy because I think that that's too rudimentary. To, we're, we're, we like both guys, and we're cool mm-hmm. with whoever plays. As long as the team wins, we don't care. But I think we saw what we saw in this one was the reason why Mazzoli has maintained a grip on the starting job. You look at their numbers, they both played the exact same – they both played a half. Mazzoli finished 17 to 21 for 223 yards and a touchdown. Evans finished his half 10 of 16, which isn't bad, uh, for 126 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. So, against what were very similar defenses, both defenses for the Riders didn't start all their starters. They were undermanned, like I've said. It's it's impossible to say that Mazzoli wasn't the better man on last Saturday, is it? Yeah, it is. Um... You know, those two picks really stand out. And I know that uh, one of them wasn't really his fault, Dane Evans. But, uh, you know, if we're if we're judging, you know, Ticat fans judge Mazzoli pretty hard for whenever he makes mistakes. So, you know, Dane Evans made a couple mistakes in that game. So I expect Ticat fans to point that out as well. Um, <laughs> I know that they won't. I know that they yeah. Oh, you're a funny guy. You're a funny guy. But, yeah, the backup quarterback will always be the most popular player in Hamilton. It's been that way for years and years and years. Um, but, yeah, I you just can't, you know, they're playing the riders. They're playing their backups. It's so hard to judge, um, you know, who should be the starter going to the playoffs. And I'll say this. I'm a big Mazzoli fan. I'm a big Evans fan. Whatever they think is the best call, and I, I suspect and expect uh, Mazzoli to be the guy going to the playoffs but whatever they choose it's fine with me I know I said last week that I think that Evans should be the guy going into the playoffs but um, it's just I don't know what to think anymore Josh it's just so hard to uh, you know whoever plays I'm happy with yeah same here it's the gift and the curse right like it's yeah. a gift to have two quarterbacks that you can trust and maybe not even trust but two quarterbacks that you know can can win, can win football mm-hmm. games in this league. We've seen Mazzoli do it. We've seen Evans do it. It's also a curse because then you're you're racked with like that stomach ache feeling of, oh, if they start the wrong guy and he doesn't do well. And it caught, like, you know what I mean? Like it, there's always going to be, no matter who they started and how this goes, short of winning the Grey Cup, there's always going to be a what if. You're, if. If the Ticats flame out against Montreal or if they lose to... Toronto, or if they get to the Grey Cup and lose, no matter who starts, there's always going to be a, a section of the fan base that's going to be, well, if you would have started the other guy, we would have won. And that's mm-hmm. impossible to tell. I think based on what we've seen this season, the team Mazzoli started the season, he only got lost his job because he got hurt, 
And then as soon as he got healthy, it just so happened to coincide with Evans getting hurt. And then Mazzoli took the job back and Evans came back and, and Mazzoli's been the guy. I think, I don't think the team publicly or even privately has ever waffled off the fact that Mazzoli's their guy. This is not a, and it's not a shot at, at Dane. It's just what we've seen going into the season and throughout the season. This is the guy that they want to ride with, at least for this year. I don't have a problem with that. I wouldn't have a problem with it if it was the other way, but I think Ticat fans who are going to any failure is going to be ridiculed. I mean, you don't like this. This is what it is. If you don't like it, then don't watch, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a tough one because there's so I mean, the, the expectations coming into the season were so high. Um, and I think that I said this on Twitter that I think that anything less than a great cup championship is a failure based on, you know, 2019 coming into the season. We brought back basically the whole team. Uh, except for you know some important pieces on the offensive line, but uh, that's another story. Um, but yeah, I think that you know with the Grey Cup being in Hamilton, you know they have to they have to win it, or it's going to be or they're going to be criticized heavily. So um, yeah, I mean if they lose, especially if they lose in the first round and they they play Mazzoli and he doesn't play well, they you know we're never going to hear the end of it. So. Uh, they have a tough decision to make, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what what happens here. Off topic, do they have a tough decision to make? Because I was talking with a friend of mine at the game about this. There's going to be an awful lot of quarterbacks available, and not a whole heck of a lot of starting jobs up. You mm-hmm. look, is Winnipeg going to go after Like, Even if Winnipeg doesn't win the Grey Cup, they're still kind of in the honeymoon phase, and, and Calaris is going to win MOP. Do you see any scenario where they get rid of him? I don't. You look at Calgary; no. they're they're set with Bo. You look at BC; they're set with Riley. And even if they're Indians for Riley, you know, there's been some. Uh, I've seen some people speculate that maybe Riley will call it a career. Nathan Rourke is probably going to be their quarterback of the future, and he looked awfully good. I know again, it was a meaningless game, but he looked awfully good in that final against Edmonton. Uh, you look at Saskatchewan; they're not going to move off Cody Fajardo. Uh, and then what's the last Edmonton, they, they could make a move for a quarterback, but they just gave Nick Arbuckle a contract extension, even though the, the, you know, we'll talk about this in a second. All the guys in Edmonton that signed off on that are now gone. Um, and then you look at the East Hamilton, obviously will have one of the two, uh, Toronto maybe, but cause they never seem to be really sold on McLeod, Bethel Thompson, but let's, let's say they win the great cup or get to the great cup. Are they going to move off of their quarterback? I don't know. Montreal will decide between Harris and um, and uh, Adams. One of those, so that means one of those two will be available. And then you have Ottawa, who potentially are more than likely are looking for a quarterback. So maybe there's three teams out there. So like, would would Edmonton, for instance, move off of Arbuckle after trading for him to to bring in Dana Mazzoli? I mean, I would. I think I think yeah. both those guys have shown that they're better. But would Edmonton do it? I don't know. And then. I, I there's just there's so many. You also have the backup quarterback in Calgary who's looked good, um, and then you have like I said, you have Evans and Mazzoli. You have five quarterbacks for three starting jobs. That I'm and I'm be, I think I'm being generous in saying three, maybe four. I don't know if there's going some someone's going to end the the QB carousel this offseason without a starting spot. And what if the Ticats can't bring both of both of them back? I think it's unlikely. I think it's unlikely, but right. I'm just saying it's not out of the realm of possibilities given what we. If you if you look at everything, not impossible. 
No, it's not. You make a good point, but uh, I just and I said this last year. I think I, I don't see Evans signing if Mazzoli signs or or vice versa. Because especially with Evans, because I think you know he's twenty eight, uh, not super young, but younger than Mazzoli. I think he he wants to be a starter. Um, I think he bit the bullet this year for the team, um, knowing that he might get a shot at the starting job. You know, coming into training camp. But I think you know after this year he's gonna be he's gonna want to be a starter somewhere, so you know it's a possibility, but it's uh, unlikely. Yeah, I think it's unlikely as well. But I'm just I'm just throwing it out there now because we can get ahead of it. There's it's not as if there's like six starting quarterback jobs ready to be True. ready for you the really taking. Want to go do this again with the Mazzoli and Evans thing. Oh man, <laughs> honestly, I, I I'd like to make a decision just so we don't have to go. Th- but I mean, w- yeah. whatever decision they make. We're going to hear one half of the fan base go, they should have kept the other. Like, we're going to have to deal with this mm. basically. And I mean, if the Ticats win a great cup, no one's going to care. But if right. we don't win the championship and then we have to make a decision and then we're, yeah, this is, we, I think we got another, at least another season of this to go before we're truly out of the Evans Mazzoli thing. Um, Simone Lawrence broke the Hamilton Tiger Cats franchise record for tackles and did it while Rob Hitchcock, the previous record holder, was on the sideline doing the uh, sideline reporting for the Ticats Audio Network. I have to ask, given what Simone has done now that he's top of the charts in the record books, is he on the... I mean, I know for this generation, he's he's Mount Rushmore. Is he making a case for one of the greatest Ticats of all time? Absolutely. I, uh, you know, he's... He's uh, he's a leader on defense. You know he has the record now for most tackles, passing a legend like Rob Hitchcock, one of my favorite players of all time. Um, you know he just he is the Tiger Cats. He is Hamilton. He's like you know the this you know I don't want to say anything crazy, but you know for this generation it's he's Angelo Mosca. Yes, precisely. Yep. That's it. Yes. Yep. And uh, so yeah, he's up there, man. He's one of the greatest Tiger Cats of all time. I'm convinced of it, and uh, the numbers show it. You know, he's, he was up for most outstanding defensive player in 2019. He's been one of the best defensive players in the league for years. So, yeah, you're darn right. He's one of the best Ticats of all time. Is he – if I was to do a list of the greatest defensive players in Ticats history. He's on it. He's on. He's in the top five. Yeah, it's sure. it's It's Joe Monford, Angelo Mosca, Ben Zambiazzi, Simone Lawrence. And I think Simone Lawrence is better than Ben Zambiazzi. I said that when they were talking about, I, I think it was during the Argos game or maybe it was during the Edmonton game, and they, they mentioned Ben Zambiazzi and, and Simone. I, I tweeted, and people didn't agree with me. Some did, some didn't. I think Simone Lawrence is better than Ben Zambiazzi. Um, the only thing that separates Simone from all the other guys is a championship. He wins a title in Hamilton. He's cemented. Mm-hmm. His legacy's set. Even without it, though, he's one of the top five defensive players, oh, yeah. I think, in the franchise's history. Yep, I would totally agree. You know, you're right. If he wins a championship, then it'll just be um, on another level. But uh, he'll never pass Mosca. He'll never, especially no. with what's happened with Mo- like with Mosca passing. There's no mm-hmm. chance. I think any tie cat, no. and not and not just because of what he meant to the city, but the accolades, like the championships and the Great Cup appearances. And I don't think anyone will ever. T- Angelo Mosca is the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Yeah, he's, but, he's but at the, the top of the heap, and will sure. be probably for the for the remainder of time. Quite honestly, yeah. But most, yep. but just like when you talk about like greatest NFL receivers, and you go, okay, well, we take Jerry Rice out of it because he's so far ahead of everybody else. Who's then the second best? And I think you can make a case, especially because he's not done playing. If he wins a ring, you can make a case for Simone Lawrence to be number two 
all-time defensive player for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Right now, I have Joe Montford number two um, because of what he two-time defensive player of the year with with Ty Cats sacks. All that was just an one of the main reasons this team won a Grey Cup the last time it did. Um, Grover Covington would be in that conversation as well, the all-time sack leader. Ben Zambiazzi, obviously. There's a lot of great defensive players. Garney Henley was a two-way player. There's a lot of great defensive players that play for the Ticats. Zeke Moreno. Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He's good. He was good. He was good. He gets played on some terrible yeah. teams. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Marquise Knowlton's not maybe not yeah. top five, but Marquise Knowlton had one of the, in 20, I think it was 2010, one of the best years a defensive player has ever had. The numbers mm-hmm. he put up when he won Defensive Player of the Year were phenomenal. There's been a lot of great defense. We've been very blessed. But I think when it's all said and done, and the caveat is, if he wins a championship, if he wins multiple championships, it starts to become even less of a doubt that he's he's right behind Ange. I, I think he goes down as one of the greatest of all time, and I think right now he's top five, and, and the ring would just cement it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, Montford, for me, is number two right mm-hmm. now, um, just because he was so dominant on that defensive line. Um, I just never seen, you know, I, I suppose there's been... Uh, defensive ends that are in his league but to me he's like the greatest of all time a defensive end the greatest that i've seen in play he just you know what was it like 21 and a half sacks in a season or something like that uh did he tie the record did he break it? i think he tied the record for most sacks it was like 24 or something right okay yeah but even so i mean i remember i looked at his sacks over two two or three seasons it's just ridiculous yeah i think he had 20 sacks Three out of four years, or twenty seven. Yeah. It was some. It was some astronomically ridiculous number. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Simone could could leap over him uh, by the end of his career, just because. And I think that that you know the way that he is um, helps out too. The trash talking and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Hamilton fans love that. So um, he is he is top five right now and could be uh, number two by the end of his career. The other thing that Simone Lawrence is unfortunately known for kind of league-wide is dirty play. I don't necessarily buy into that notion. Maybe it's the black and gold running through my veins that has me say that. But in this game, we saw everyone talks about Simone Lawrence as, as the Ric Flair, the dirtiest player in the game. And there's a, there was a guy on the other side of the ball. His name's McConaughey Henry. He's the dirtiest player in the CFL. He has multiple fines for late hits. And he had one in this game that was... Just so egregious. I've had Ryder fans arguing with me about this pretty much all day today. How do you, how can you compare the two? And and this your your take is so is so off. It's ridiculous. He hit Jeremiah Mazzoli. I'm sitting in the stands and I heard the whistle go. And a good three or four seconds afterwards, he blasts Mazzoli in the chest. Now you were sitting at home watching the game. Was it as clear to you that it was a late hit as it was to me sitting in the stands? Yeah, I mean, I could hear the whistle go. Um, all the way from Edmonton. So, I mean, the unless Henry is the you know first ever deaf player, player <laughs> in the CFL, there's no excuse for it. Um, it was a late hit. He had to have heard the whistles. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. He's just uh, a dirty play by him. And he has a reputation for this. Like everyone wants to put the label on Simone. Henry's the and Ryder fans in particular, and this is what. I find so infuriating is for the better part of two years now, people in Ryderville have just been, he's been number one with a bullet. Simone is as public enemy. Number one, there's a guy in your own camp. That's just as bad, if not worse. And you let him skate. You know what I mean? And like, 
we went over the Simone hit, and we're not going to adjudicate that again, but you and I both thought that it, was, it wasn't clean, it was late, he deserved a suspension, he deserved whatever, whatever punishment the CFL dished out, he deserved, we were all for it. I have not seen any Ryder fans in my mentions or anywhere talk about Henry being the dirty, filthy player that he is. So anytime the Riders want to talk about Simone, just throw McConaughey back in their face as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and Simone, I mean, like you just said, we agreed on the, you know, it wasn't a clean hit on Caleros. But other than that, I mean, I can't think of any really dirty plays by him over his career. Um, he's a hard-hitting uh, defensive player, and he might play to the edge, but he very rarely crosses it. So uh, I think it's just undeserving another that uh, that reputation. Another another comparison to Mosca. Hamilton fans love him, and rest of the league will hate him. So in mm-hmm. in four in forty years, when when Simonian you know passes away, everyone will talk about him in, in glowing terms, like we did with with Ange after he he passed away. This was a particularly chippy game, though, didn't you find? Like. There was a lot of kind of dust ups. Like Chris Van Zyl was getting in, into it with with people. There was a uh, something at halftime apparently where Simone's doing an interview and AC Leonard like elbowed him and they were beaking at each other. Like for for a game that meant nothing, there was there was kind of a lot of animosity between these two teams. I'm, I'm, let me look at. I think there was like 240 yards and penalties or something Jeez. in this game. Yeah, 22 total penalties for 237 yards. Each team had double digit penalties. Um, roughness penalties. There were six in total, three on each team. Like this was this was a particularly hostile game for a game that was essentially a preseason game. Yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? Um, yeah, I don't know where the animosity comes from between the Ticats and the Riders, but uh, it was showing on that day. It'll be interesting if these two teams line up against each other in three weeks for mm-hmm. a Grey Cup. How 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 much this will get the blood flowing. Um, speaking of Mosca, uh, I don't know what they showed on the telecast, but there was a beautiful tribute to Angelo Mosca before the game. This was the first Tiger Cats home game uh, since he passed. Um, he he passed away the day after their their last home game. This was the first time that Tiger Cat fans and the team had been able to do sort of a tribute to him. They they played. I don't remember. Do you remember the old Ten Commandments of Ivor Wynn video that he yeah. did where he came down from the mountain? Yep. Yeah. They played that at, uh, before the game, and they had just a lovely tribute video. They introduced his entire family who ran out in Mosca jerseys. His son, Angelo Jr., was holding his dad's old helmet. Uh, the team exited the tunnel. I think it was the defensive line were all carrying 68 flags. They had the 68 uh, in the end zone. Uh, you could, with a donation to the Alzheimer's Society of Hamilton, uh, you could have, they had 10,068 buttons. Um, it was just, it, it, it was a lovely tribute. And honestly, as I'm watching the video, it, it, it kind of choked me up a little bit. And uh, just, to, they did a 68 second uh, round of applause. It was a standing ovation. Uh, it was, uh, it was really, really nice. Did you get to see any of that on the broadcast? Because I feel like this is something they should have shown. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't see it. Maybe they did show it and I missed it. But uh, I do remember seeing the, you know, Mosca family on the field. But uh, I don't think they showed, like, the video tribute or anything like that. That's unfortunate. I could Hopefully... be wrong, though. I could be wrong. I had a little bit of a cat emergency during this game. So I didn't uh, uh, But weren't fully didn't invested. all of it. Yeah. Yes, Ho- hopefully, sure. maybe the Ticats will put it up. If, if they do put it up on their website, I do. Anyone who didn't hasn't had a chance to see it, if you're a, a fan who wasn't at the game or uh, someone who, who couldn't get to the game because you're like Mike and live, live far away, if the Ticats put it up on their website, go out, go out of your way to watch it. It was, it was really, really nice. Um, 
last thing on this game, Mike, I want to talk about some of the younger players. We've, we've spent a lot of the season talking about Brandon Banks and kind of his regression this year and what's wrong with Speedy B? What's wrong with Speedy B? And I don't think we spent enough time talking about some of the newer players that have really stepped up in kind of his absence and Braylon Addison's absence. And we saw it again in this one. Tim Light and Stephen Dunbar Jr. both were the best receivers on the field for the Ticats. Uh, White finished with a team-leading six receptions, uh, 83 yards. Dunbar finished with five catches for a team-leading 89 yards. And the Ticats just have this knack for finding receivers, do they not? And this is what kind of makes, and no offense to Devere Posey, but it's what kind of makes the Posey signing kind of a head-scratcher. The Ticats don't need to sign veteran receivers. They don't need to go out and spend money on receivers. They can find these guys. Jalen Acklin had six catches for 74 yards in this game, a second-year Ticat. I I don't know what it is with the Ticats, but they really know how to find receivers. Yeah, they really do. And you, you mentioned Tim White, and he, he led the team in receiving this year. Yep. 774 yards. So he's really impressed me. I think he was sixth uh, overall in the league, which is right. incredible for a first-year player. It is, especially for an offense that hasn't exactly lit uh, lit the world on fire this year. So um, Tim White has impressed me. He, uh, you know, he even when he, they're out of the game, he still gives full mm-hmm. effort. And that's one of the things I look for, you know. And I'm sure that's one of the things coaches look at is if the game is out of hand, are you still giving it your all? And this guy is. Um, he's a real deal. I hope we have him for many years to come. And, you know, Poppy White has, has done some good things as well. You I'm know, glad you're bringing him up. Because I was just yeah. going to, that's, that's the last guy I wanted to talk about. So I'm glad you brought him up. Yeah. He, you know, I, they gave him some chances to run the ball last game. He was, uh, he had some pretty nice returns. Um, I think the, the White brothers are, uh, <laughs> are quite the combination. I don't know if that's the best nickname, but uh, they're, uh, they're two upcomers. Uh, uh, you know, they, I, I can see them with a really bright future ahead. Simone Lawrence owes Poppy White a dinner, though. There was a whiff on a block by Simone on a punt return that Poppy White would have taken to the house for a touchdown. It was like a 40, 50-yard return, and Simone whiffs on the block on the punter, I might add, that oh, if boy. he would have nailed, uh, White is walking into the end zone for a score. So I feel like Simone owes Poppy White uh a, a, a steak dinner of some sort for for whiffing on that block, but yeah, I thought po- I mean, that's why I'm glad you brought him up because it was that return where I'm just like, oh, have we found another return guy? Like Frankie Williams is still injured. We haven't seen him for a number of weeks, and have we just found someone else that we can use in the return game? Like again, just like receivers, they they can find returners. It, it's it's pretty incredible the last sort of decade of the number of young players mm-hmm. that this team has found and brought into the league at the receiver and returner position where it's just like, oh, you have Marcus Stigpen. Oh, you lose him. Oh, here's Chris Williams. Oh, you lose him. Oh, here's Brandon Banks. Oh, he's right. going to go on offense. Oh, here's uh, Terrell Sinkfield. Oh, here's Braylon Addison. Oh, you, those guys are, are in the receiving court now or out of the league. Oh, here's Frankie Williams. Oh, Frankie Williams hurt. Here's my, it's, it's like, you got to be kidding me with the guys. And then you look at the receivers, like Jalen Saunders was there. Like they first they get Luke Tasker. Then it's Jalen Saunders. Now those guys are gone. Oh, it's Stephen Dunbar and, and, and Tim White and, it, the amount of guys that they were just able to churn over American receivers, this team is just able to find them, and it's a it's a testament to scouting and a testament mm-hmm. to being put in the right position, especially as young players. And you talk about the return game, and you know before that streak of great returners, you know the Ticats were not known for having mm-hmm. uh, a great returner, or returners, or a great return game um, for a long time. Like I don't recall anyone. You know, Earl Winfield in his day was a pretty good return guy, but he was mostly a receiver. Um, Archie Amerson yeah, was once, okay, 
But again, yeah, same thing. Most, okay. Mostly receiver. Yeah. Like, who was yeah. the return guy for the Ticats when, in the 90s with, with Danny Mack? Was it Archie? Like, you don't really remember. But you remember no. these, uh, these, these more recent guys. Like, Marcus Thigpen, you remember, even though it's been a, over a decade since he was a Tiger Cat. Chris Williams, you remember. You know what I mean? Like, these guys, you remember. And you could argue that Chris Williams and Speedy B are, you know, top five returners of all mm-hmm. time. You know, I know that Chris Williams had a short <laughs> span in Hamilton, but... When he was there, it was it was spectacular. I mean, every time he touched the ball on return, I thought, oh, it's going to the house. Yeah. You know, and Brandon Banks was amazing as well. So, um, yeah, we've been pretty lucky in the last 10 years with the return game. Player of the week for this week, and it's kind of difficult to come up with one because no one really stood out. But to me, one guy actually did, and that's defensive back, starting safety, Canadian, Carlton product, Tunde Adelike. You look at his stats – and they don't pop off the page. It's it's not a big tackle game. It's not a big anything game. But he had a tackle. He had a sack. He had two pass knockdowns. And he had an interception. Aside from scoring a touchdown, there's not much else you could do on defense, is there? No. And you know what? This guy has so much speed at the safety position. I could see him, you know, having a, a really big play in the playoffs. A big interception for a return. For a touchdown, maybe a pick six. You know, you never know. But I could see something big from him going into the playoffs. Yeah, and he's been one of those guys. He's a guy that they uh, he was uh, originally drafted by Calgary. They brought him over as a free agent, and we thought the Ticats were set at safety with Mike Daly. And then you get a delicate, and you go, oh, as good as Mike mm-hmm. Daly was, Tunde delicate is just that much better. He's he's been an All Star before. He'll more than likely be an All Star again this year. Just uh, an all-around wonderful performance by him in, in what was essentially a meaningless game. But I think he's a very deserving final regular season Podski Player of the Week because, believe it or not, we are now headed to the playoffs. Uh, switching gears, let's talk about some CFL news. And the big news of the week, Mike, is out where you are, the Edmonton Hell Elks cleaned house. They fired president and CEO Chris, Chris Preeson, I think his name is, GM Brock Sunderland, and head coach, Jamie Elizondo, and in the release, uh, this is this is what was said in the release, and I want to I want to kind of get your opinion on this. After considerable discussion and consideration, the board of directors determined that major changes at the senior leadership level were needed to improve performance and rebuild the trust and confidence of Elks fans, season seed holders, and the community. Said Ian Murray, chair of the board of directors. That is uh, some pretty damning words about the outgoing guys here and mm-hmm. you're in Edmonton you attend Elks games and and you know none of us are are blind to this there has been a lot of fan erosion in Edmonton they got a lot of goodwill with the name change and then it's just been garbage ever since this this was almost a must like I know that they're gonna have to eat these salaries but this was almost a must to get rid of these guys if, if they were gonna have any hope of, of fans taking this team seriously in 2022 right yeah, and the funny thing is, I thought that they were going to stick with these guys because, you know, the firing of Eddie Steele because he criticized the GM, um, you know, the move to bring in Nick Ar- Arbuckle. Trading Trevor Harris. That, trading Trevor Harris. Um, but <clears throat> to me, it was the right decision. And I know I've said this before, you know, you don't want to see people lose their jobs. But, I mean, they dig their own, they dug their own grave on this one. It uh, The team was terrible on the field. They didn't win a home game all year. It was just a terrible product to watch. Boring. Um, the PR was terrible uh, off the field. You know, it's just, 
I came to Edmonton in 2015, and there were still crowds of 30, uh, 30,000. You know, when the Riders come to town, it would push 40. And the the the, rem- the Labor Day rematch against Stampeders, there would be 40,000 people in the stands. If they brought back all these guys, I could see, you know, 10, 15,000 at games, which there were, or less in the last, you know, three or four home games. So um, they had to do something, and this was the right move. Yeah, it, the only guy out of all these three that I, I genuinely feel sorry for is Elizondo. He got one year, and he got mm-hmm. thrown in there late because Scott Milanovic quit to go take a job. I believe it's with the Indianapolis Colts. So it's not like he had all this time to mold the team in his image. But the team had gotten worse. You said you got there in 2015. What did the El- uh, what did the Elks do in 2015? They won the Grey Cup, and ever since then they've gotten progressively worse. Who would have thought that the Jason Moss era? you would look back on that fondly given what we've seen this last, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this was a team that the last season they played were in the conference finals. They played the Ticats in the East final. Now they got blown out in that game, but they were in, they, they fit Yes. They finished fourth in the West, but they were in the East final. And to go from that to, and I remember before the season, I did, I think you had them as your gray cup pick, like to make the gray cup. Mm-hmm. Um, I had them, I think finishing second or third in the West, but there were people out there talking about this team being legitimate Grey Cup favorites and winning the wet, like finishing first in the West. And they just, yep. it never coalesced. It never gelled. It, it, it seemed like it was bad from the, like they lost to Ottawa the first game of the season, something like 16-12. Like they, they couldn't score. It was a boring brand of football. They ha- It's not like they don't have talent. Like they had Trevor Harris, who when he's on, looks pretty darn good. Greg Ellingson, James Wilder, uh, Darrell Walker. It's just... They just a pretty good offensive line. Like, yeah, they just stunk. They just yeah. stunk, and that falls on everyone. And to clean house, I think was was the right call. Now the curious yeah. thing is, you, you have them and Ottawa now. Who's mm-hmm. going to get? Because I think I don't think Ottawa's going to fire Paul Apolise. I think whatever GM they hire there is going to have to accept that he's the head coach, which I think is probably the right call. I don't think. Lapo after one year with limited talent deserves to get the axe. But then again, Elizondo probably didn't deserve to get the axe either. Um, but that, but a GM being a, a coach being foistered upon a GM only works for so long, especially if they don't win. Uh, so now it's a kind of a race. Let's see. This is another thing we got to follow in the offseason. Who does Edmonton hire? Who does Ottawa hire? And gives us some stuff to talk about after uh, the games are done in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's uh you know, they both those franchises need to make the right hires, though. Mm-hmm. They have to turn it around, especially here in Edmonton, but uh, especially in Ottawa. Yeah. <laughs> show, especially Lisa, say. but especially, especially Bob. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. It's playoff time, buddy. And we're going to talk about the Ticats and the Owls in a second. But I wanted to get your thoughts on what we're going to see after that game, which is the Western semifinal between the Calgary Stampeders and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Am I crazy in thinking the Stamps are going to win this game? No, I, I'm with you on that. I think the Stamps are, um, in the second half of the season, have been one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, so hot um, right now, like Hansel. Yeah, and uh, the Riders have been the opposite in the second half of the season. They've been on a downward spiral, it seems. So my prediction is the Calgary Stampeders win uh, Brett Luther Lothar has a chance to win it, but he misses it. And, uh, <laughs> oh, there, there, and, there, there's no personal animosity fueling now. No, now is there? Never, never. <laughs> I would never. No, but you know he's the best kicker in the league, as he says. So uh, I would, uh, I would like to see that. I would like to see him miss a field goal for a win, and you know, make him a little humble. Yeah, all those Ryder fans would be so mad. I, 
I, I just think the stamps are kind of rolling right now. Mm-hmm. And the, like you said, the Riders are kind of like Fajardo's not playing great. Um, the offense never really put it together all season. Like they look good to start the year and they like they put up 30 points in back-to-back games in the first two weeks and then have kind of just been trudging along with some close wins or uninspiring offensive performances. It's uh, the gap between them and the Stamps, I think, is razor thin. And I just, in a situation like this, I'm going with the more experienced quarterback. I know Bo hasn't looked particularly good this year, but the Stamps have a decent running game with uh, Kadeem Carey. I think their defense is, is pretty good. Um, I think their, coach, their head coach is better than their brothers, but I think that, you know, Dave Dickinson obviously has the more experience, and I think he's a better coach than Craig, so I think they have the advantage there as well. Yeah, it just it this I think there's going to be an upset this weekend, and I don't think it's going to be in Hamilton, so by default it's going to be in Saskatchewan. And I think it's just until, like I said at the beginning of the season, and, and I mean, you correctly, you, they didn't finish in last, but you kind of correctly predicted the Stamps would struggle this year. Um, I'm not betting against Calgary until I'm given a reason to bet against Calgary, even after... You know, they, they lose in the Western semi uh, two seasons ago, or I guess one season ago, but two years ago. And they're not even hosting a play. They finished third in the West for the first time since I think it's 2011. Um, first time they don't win double-digit games since I think tw- 2007. Although, you know, shortened season, they probably would have, if this was an 18-game season, they probably get to 10 wins. Um, yeah, this just feels like the Stamps are, are going to take this one and then head to Winnipeg. And if I'm the Bombers, I'm a might be a little bit scared of, of Calgary in this one. Calgary, again, it was a meaningless game, but they, they made the comeback against Winnipeg in the last game of the season. Um, it, and we, we know these are going to be low-scoring affairs, and I don't know. I, I could legitimately see the Stampeders doing what the Bombers did in uh, in 2019 and, and making the run from third place all the way to the Grey Cup. Yeah, and you know that Calgary, you know, the players that are left over from that 2019 team want to stick it to Winnipeg in the in the West Final. And they're not looking ahead to them, I'm sure. But, you know, that would be some sweet revenge for them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, enough of the undercard. Let's talk about the main event, at least for us. The Eastern semifinal here in Hamilton. Ticats, Owls. It's the blackout game, as the team's saying. It's blackout season. Um Initial thoughts on the, on this matchup. I'm seeing a lot of people initially kind of favor the Tie Cats in this one. Obviously, you and I are going to favor the Tie Cats in this one. But what's um what's your level of confidence? I, I'll ask heading into this game as we sit here on Tuesday before the Sunday. It's pretty high to be honest. Uh, I think the Tie Cats will win this game, um, and I think they might win it handily. Um, you know, the, the the Montreal Montreal is a pretty good team, but they're not. They don't scare me. And, you know, Trevor Harris has come in. He's played okay. But I don't see him tearing apart this defense. Uh, William Stanback is a hell of a running back, don't get me wrong. And they have a pretty good offensive line. But Tycat's defense has been tremendous against the run. So And I against see... him in particular. Yeah, I don't see Stanback, you know, tearing up this defense either. So there's your two. I mean... I just I I don't think their offense is good enough to put up enough points to pull off the upset victory in Hamilton. I'm kind of with you there. The, the the one thing that scares me, and this is a small scare, and I, I did some digging today into the numbers. It's Trevor Harris in the playoffs. I know you put out a tweet that said if the Ticats lose to Trevor Harris, you're going to vomit. Um, yeah. Which, if that's the case, please record that and put that on social media, buddy. Okay. Um, yeah. 
What scares me about Trevor Harris, and I looked into this this afternoon, in years where he plays in the playoffs, his first playoff game is usually pretty damn good. He's completing 77, 77% of his passes. He's averaging, averaging 415 yards and three touchdowns to one interception. He's had two 400-yard games, and he had a six-touchdown game. This is in his first playoff game of a given season. And then it's in that second playoff game where he starts to kind of fall off. 61% completion percentage, 303 yards per game average, two total touchdowns, and five interceptions. And in both games, he had more interceptions than touchdowns. So if there's anything to kind of, if you're an Owls fan, kind of hang your hat on, it's that Trevor Harris come playoff time, really, really good in the first playoff game. Last time they played, I think he had three incompletions against the Alouettes, the Eastern uh, Final against the Ticats the year before. He threw six touchdown passes, and I believe only had three incompletions against the Tabbies. So it's that first playoff game where Harris is usually the most dangerous. But in the reverse, those are teams that he's been on that he's familiar with. When he was in Ottawa, he was there for a while and was comfortable with the offense. When he was with Edmonton, he was there a couple years comfortable with the offense. It's It's... This newness of being in Montreal where I don't know if he has that chemistry yet with the or the cohesion with the rest of the offense that makes me think he's much more likely to have a bad game than a good game. But I thought it was something interesting to kind of dig into and, and you know, if there's something out there that Ticat fans want to worry about even more, it's, you know, Trevor Harris' first game playoff is usually pretty darn good. We gotta we gotta get the defensive line has to get to him. Yeah. Um, you know, we got the talent along that line. They got to get to him. They got to knock him off his game. Like his teammate said, Amando Sewell, you knock him down and he's going to, you know, he's not going to play well. So, you know, Laurent, Wynn, Hauser, Davis, Eds, get to this guy and make him uncomfortable. So, speaking of trash talk, and this isn't trash talk coming from a teammate, although I guess technically it's trash talk coming from a former teammate because he was a part of the Hamilton Tiger Cats roster last year. Patrick Levels decided to uh, fire off some good old-fashioned uh, bulletin board material uh, by guaranteeing a win. Here's what he said during a, a media conference call. We will win in Hamilton. Stamp it. Put it as big as you need to put it. Block it out. We coming. Montreal Alouettes. See you soon. Can't wait. So he called out, uh, where is it? Uh, my boys are going to rally behind me, I promise you. Stand back running through them boys like a running back. Defense, we're on fire. Mazzoli, come see me. Brandon Banks, come see me. I'm calling people out. Don Jackson, come see me. Coach O, come see me. I love this stuff. And, yeah, okay, you know, people say, oh, you should be humble and yada. Nuts to that. I want fierceness. I want. What's he supposed to say? Oh, we're hoping to have a good game and... And if, and if the ball bounces our way, we're going to come out on top? No, he's, of course you think every team playing this weekend and every team playing in the playoffs and every team playing any game. I don't know how many sports you played as a kid, but I went into every game going, we're going to win this game. Even if I knew there was no chance we are going to win this game. If you go in thinking you're not going to win, you're not going to win. Of course he thinks he's going to win. I love this. The Ticats responded today by basically saying nothing, which is kind of a little disappointing from a, a build-up hype perspective, but understandable if you know anything about the Ticats. They're the way that Orlando Steinhauer kind of coaches this team, there was never any chance that they were going to get into a back and forth, but I like this. I think it builds intrigue. I think it builds hype. Uh, I, I, I love this stuff. And if they, if the Owls come in here and win, he can talk all the trash he wants. If they lose, he's going to have to eat his words. I think it's awesome. What about you? I like it. 
Um, I also like that the Ticats don't say anything back. You know, it's uh, it's all great to build up hype for a playoff game, but uh, all that matters is winning on the field to me with the with the Ticats, and they don't need to say nothing. They 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 know what was said by Levels. I'm sure they're talking about it in the locker room. This is going to give them a little bit of extra motivation, I think, even though you don't really need any motivation going into playoffs. Um, but there's a reason why, you know, players don't do this, right? I mean, you don't hear guaranteed wins, you know, a lot from players. It riles up the other team. Um, I think it was a big mistake by Patrick Level saying all this crap. I honestly do. And I love that he said it, and I love that people are excited about the game. Now I'm more excited. Um but I think it's the right move to just, you know, Hamilton to just shut up, um, come out on the field on Sunday and smack them in the mouth. Um, I think there might be, you know, a little bit of uh, back and forth before the game starts, you know, in the warm-ups. I think we're going to see some of that. And uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. He said the same thing about Montreal and Winnipeg, too, and that didn't really end right. very well for him. But the thing is, he said that about a regular season game. This is the playoffs. Like... I don't know, man. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, like, like you, like the. Okay, I'm glad they didn't say anything back, but man, if, if you gave Simone Lawrence some truth serum right now, could you imagine the promo he could have cut? Yeah. On Patrick yeah. Levels, like, and I know he's not going to do it, and, he, and I mean he'll yap on the field, making big hits and making plays. Mm-hmm. But man, oh man, it's one time, just one time, I'd love to see him just grab a mic and go like full blown. Sean Michaels, nineteen ninety seven in Canada, yeah. G- mm-hmm. like you know what I mean. Just generate some and like I like this stuff. I like rivalries. Um, I like getting the hate on for my opponent. There's not a huge rivalry between Hamilton and Montreal right now because these teams haven't always been the most competitive. When Montreal's been really good, Hamilton hasn't been. And for the last few years, up until the last couple of seasons, Montreal hasn't been that great. While well, Hamilton's been been decent to really good. So these two teams being in the playoffs, I think it, it'll it add a little spice. This is a traditional, like the the last time the Ticats won the Grey Cup, they had to go through the Owls. And, but like, I where mean, does this confidence come from? You know I don't I mean? know. Like, they just lost to Ottawa. Yeah, I don't know. win game for them. Like, it's... It's a bit of a head scratcher. I mean, does this does I this mean, not you, does this not make them the okay? So let's use wrestling parlance for this. Does this not make them the heels? Because the, what you always hear about the best heels are even when they lose, they come out the next day and tell you why they didn't lose. So mm-hmm. despite the fact that yeah, they got beaten by the, well, I guess Edmonton's the worst team in the league technically, but one of the worst teams in the league in Ottawa. He's just like, ah, it doesn't matter. Shrugging it off, we're on to the next one. We're still going to win. Like that, that casts them in the role of, of villains in this one. I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it just, it does, I, I get it. He's he's confident in his teammates. He's confident in his team. But uh, I don't know. I think I think it might have been a mistake. And I wonder what you know, Kari Jones and all those guys, the coaching staff, think about him saying these things. Maybe they're cool with it. I, I'm not sure. But uh, you know, I don't think it's going to help their cause at all. No, I don't think it's going to help the cause. I just think it's. It's nice to get that build up going into the game. And if, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, didn't the Alouettes? Didn't Bear Woods and like. Yes. Um, Deron Carter do this in the lead up to the East final. I think didn't Bear Woods after the East final after the Tigers beat him by like twenty three points. Be like, ah, we the better team didn't win today. Like some nonsense like that. So, I mean, maybe it's just something in the water in Montreal that makes these guys want to lip off. And I mean, it's gonna make. I think it's you know the atmosphere at, at Tim Hortons Field, the blackout game is gonna be intense already. This is just going to add to that, especially if there's a couple, you know, little little kerfuffles or something before the game during warmups. The, the crowd's going to be amped for this, and it's uh, 
I don't know, man. It gets me more excited for Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and you know, I was already excited, obviously, for a playoff game, but uh, this ramps it up just a, just a bit more. Yeah, just a bit more. So you said you think the Ticats are going to win this fairly handily. We don't do predictions, so I'm not going to ask you for that because if we do that, you're going to if we do that and they lose, we're going to look like buffoons. But you feel pretty confident in the Ticats winning this one and, and heading to Toronto for the East Final, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, same here. I this is no disrespect. If Vernon Adams was in there, I think this is a different story. I just don't have uh, any not faith for me. Vernon Adams no? was terrible this year. Ugh. But I just I, terrible or not, there's he has some magic in him. Every now, like true, I mean, they when, when they beat him here in September, was it October? Whatever it was, September October, they did deserve to win that game. But they made a fourteen point comeback, and he throws a laser to tie the game. You know what I mean? Like, or took the lead yep. with the with the touchdown pass to, to Eugene Lewis. So he Adam scares me more because off script he can do more things than Harris does. And and I'm with you. If if the Ty Cats get in Harris's face, we're going to see a replay of what happened the last time Harris played a playoff game here. And I know he threw for like three hundred yards in that game, but it was. That game was over by halftime, and if if that's what happens again, I, I I could see this this game getting away from Montreal a lot quicker. But the Ticats have to start fast. The Ticats need to put up ten points, fourteen points in the first quarter in the in the first twenty minutes of this game. Because if you let the Owls hang around, they start to build confidence. And I think you I don't want this to be a close game going into the fourth. I want the Ticats to be up a substantial amount and and you cruise and kind of. Mm-hmm. Start start the party towards heading to Toronto, but if if they don't start fast, and this is another one. And Ticats haven't been starting fast this year. You let the Owls hang around, I think you're in for a nail biter. So uh, it'll to me, it'll all depend on how the first quarter plays out to see where this game's going to go. Yeah, and they haven't had the greatest of halves, you know, first halves um, this season. So yeah, they got to get up to it. And if they fall behind early, you know, the run game kind of goes out the window, and mm-hmm. that's a huge, you know, with Donnie Jack back there. It's a huge part of this offense. So, yeah, we have to start off hot. We have to uh, incorporate the run game because I think that uh, we have, you know, he's he, he doesn't have the numbers, but I think that, you know, pound for pound, I think he's one of the best running backs in the league, and he's shown that in the games that he's played in. So we do not want to get behind and have to throw the ball every down. That's for sure. So are you going to be wearing black at home for the blackout game? Oh, you betcha I'll be wearing my black uh, Dylan Wynn jersey. Very, very nice. I'll be, uh, I mean, I always wear black because I wear black most of my life. So mm-hmm. I'll be doing that me as too. well. Um, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward. <clears throat> pardon me. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I'm, I'm expecting some good stuff. And I, the atmosphere, and I know you haven't been there yet for a game, let alone a playoff game, but the atmosphere at Tim Hortons Field for a playoff game is unlike anything I've ever been. Like, playoff atmosphere in Hamilton is one of the best atmospheres in sports that I've ever been to. Yeah, I imagine it's comparable to, uh, Labor Day in Hamilton, or maybe yeah. even ramped up a little bit. I, I, I think the playoff games are even more hype because, yeah, mm-hmm. la- you get hype for Labor Day, but there's still a lot of season ahead come Labor right. Day. You're not going home <laughs> if you lose on Labor Day. Exactly. And the Ticats have lost one playoff game at Tim Hortons Field since that stadium was built. So there, there's a not, not a streak necessarily because they do have the one loss, but there's, there's a bit of a... Uh, an aura, that's perfect word for it, about the Ticats. At the, and we've seen them win some, like they beat BC in a blowout. They beat Edmonton in a blowout. It's it's not necessarily been the closest of games when the playoff games are played here. So uh, hopefully we're in for another big Ticats blowout where we can relax in the fourth quarter and mm-hmm. then start worrying about the East Final, which we'll preview next week, which is hopefully our Ticats versus the Alouettes. Or the Argonauts. Did I say Alouettes? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. good God. Maybe Wishful thinking on my... Maybe that <laughs> beer did boys. hit me a little too hard. 
<laughs> one beer in, and I'm like, ah, they're all the same. Every team's the same. He's a lightweight. Doesn't matter. He's a lightweight. <laughs> I don't drink that much, but uh, yeah. I needed I needed the courage to talk about Ottawa. Um, okay, so gaffes aside, that was Podsky Weaver for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm like, Graham, eat them raw. Eat them raw.